The House is looking at legislation making English the official language of the United States. We'll discuss that and other ways to deal with the problem of illegal immigration. And how loyal are you to your church, to your denomination? Let's talk about it. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here is Penna Dexter. We ended up launching a war that should have never been authorized and should have never been waged and to which we now have spent four hundred billion dollars and have seen over three thousand lives of the bravest young americans wasted the left loves him that's a presidential candidate barack obama speaking at a recent town hall meeting talking about the war in iraq of course, he made a statement about the lives lost in the war that many people found uh, offensive. Later, he made a non-apology. Uh, that's what we call it here at Jerry Johnson Live. Uh, if you were offended, then I apologize. Now, uh, Obama has declared that he's a candidate for president of the United States. Uh, the media loves him. Uh, the left wing of the Democratic Party absolutely loves him. He's solid, according to them, on gay rights. He's pro-abortion. He even voted against the ban on partial birth abortion. He's against the war in Iraq. Of course, he's against uh, President Bush's troop surge. Also new announcements from Rudy Giuliani. He hates the idea of a non-binding resolution. Uh, he hates the idea of what the House of Representatives is now debating to say that they do not support President Bush's policy in Iraq. Mitt Romney has also announced he supports the president's troop surge. We're going to talk about these issues a little bit later in the program. Uh, we welcome you to Jerry Johnson Live. I am sitting in for Dr. Johnson today, and I also want to mention we're going to talk about the issue of illegal immigration. Uh, what should Congress do about it? Uh, for instance, should they pass a uh, resolution or a law that says English is the official language of the United States? We'll talk about that with Jessica Vaughn from the Center for Immigration Studies. And also people 55 and over tend to be much more likely to stay with their churches and their denominations for a long time. So how likely are Americans to switch churches? We're going to talk about that with the president of a research firm who actually studied this. But I also want to ask you a question. If you are away from email too long, do you go through withdrawal? Uh, the Wall Street Journal published a recent story about this. Uh, they said that uh, email withdrawal is a prog uh, problem for many people. And some people say that we should actually fast from email. Are you hooked 
on email? Do you find it hard to stay away from email, even on vacation? Later in the program, we're going to take calls on that issue. Uh, you can put the number down now on a piece of paper, 800-881-9270. This recent Wall Street Journal piece described a man who went cold turkey in December. He's 24-year-old graphic designer Jeff Clark. He said email was like cocaine. He'd become anxious after just a few hours away from what he called a digital drug, and he would check messages to help him get back to sleep when he woke up at night. Uh, So he quit for five days while he was on vacation, and uh, it was a little tough for him. Could you put yourself on an electronic fast? You might have a BlackBerry or a Trio that really helps you to stay on top of your email, but also keeps you constantly tempted to check it and respond even during uh, your recreational time, you know, out to dinner with your wife or husband, whatever. Now, pastors, uh, of course, they attempt to stay accessible to their congregations, and uh, some pastors have fasted from email maybe a day a week and felt guilty about it because they felt they weren't uh, what they needed to be for the congregation. Do you really need to go on an email fast or an email diet? We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the program. Again, 800-881-9270. But now I want to bring to the microphone Jessica Vaughn. Jessica Vaughn is Senior Policy Analyst at the Center for Immigration Studies. Hi, Jessica. Thanks for joining us. Hi, it's my pleasure. We understand that the House, uh, one issue that's been, one uh, measure that's been introduced in the House this week is this idea of making English an official language, the official language for the United States. Is that a good way to deal with the problem of illegal immigration? Well, I I don't think it is um, extremely relevant to the issue of illegal immigration, but I do think it is a good idea. I mean, our, our common language is important. Uh, to maintain national cohesion, and I would submit that it's probably impossible to have national national cohesion without a common language. I've lived in countries that are uh, split by their language differences, and it makes it very, very difficult for them to function as a, as a nation. So I do think it's a great idea, and I, I do think that the constant flow of illegal immigrants, who now number at least 12 million, uh, just complicates that. A recent poll of uh, Americans says 85% uh, favor making English the country's official language. Jessica, let's go down then to some real solutions to uh, the problem that is before us. And, you know, as we saw the uh, results of the November election, we saw uh, a House and a Senate who might be more amenable to passing President Bush's plan for a guest worker program. Is that the way to go? No, absolutely not. Um, what this Congress needs to do is absolutely reject uh, ideas of a guest worker program. We don't have a shortage of unskilled labor in this country. We have 4 million un- and underemployed Americans and recent legal immigrants who are in that category. And so um, starting a, a guest worker program that would bring in more workers like that in from overseas and also legalize illegal immigrants who are here would just make th- matters worse for those Americans who uh, could be holding jobs like that. And, and frankly, guest worker programs just don't ever work. They've been tried in so many countries and so many scenarios, and we have yet to find a model that would work, and I don't think we'll ever find a model that will work. Um, and I don't think that this Congress is going to be able to find a compromise that works because you have 
business interests on one hand who want to have a cheap, compliant supply of labor, and you've got the unions on the other hand that reject guest worker programs because it's basically like indentured servitude and it's not fair to the workers, and I don't see how they're going to be able to come together on this. Jessica Vaughn is my guest. She is Senior Policy Analyst for the Center for Immigration Studies. Jessica, I've heard representatives from your organization before say that one surefire way, maybe not surefire, but a very good way to reduce the problem of the 12 to 20 million illegals who are in this country right now is to uh, restrict employers to help them with databases and also requirements and laws to say, you know, you need to make sure that the people you're hiring are legal. What about that? Yes, that's a that's uh, probably one of the most promising solutions to the illegal alien problem. It's It's not a silver bullet in and of itself, but The reason most illegal aliens come here is to work, so if we can prevent them from accessing the job market, then they they simply will make the rational choice of not coming or decide to go home on their own without us having to go to the trouble of trying to identify them and arrest them one by one and put them on a bus back. there, we have a system in place that makes it possible for employers to verify the immigration status of new hires. Um, and the problem with that program is that it's voluntary right now, and what we need to do is make it mandatory so that all employers are on the same footing and everybody is checking and no one's disadvantaged by, um, by cutting off that source of labor. What is the likelihood that Congress would uh, pass such a law? Well, I, I think it is a possibility. It is uh, the uh, the electronic verification system is one of the things that was in both of the bills that passed last year. It was in both the Senate bill and the House bill, and so this is this is one area that they could find common ground on and decide to do something about. And it would be a very effective policy tool. Are there any other things that you think that this uh, Republican White House? and this Democrat-controlled Congress could come together on that would be common-sense solutions for this problem? Yes, I think there are. Um, for one thing, they ought to fund and build the fence because there are certain certain uh, parts of the border where the fence makes great operational sense. I've, I've seen how it's worked in the San Diego sector, and there are other places where it would work as well. Uh, they can... Um, make more of an effort to train state and local law enforcement agencies to help identify illegal aliens. Um, They need to insist that the Department of Homeland Security finish the U.S. visit program so that we know that uh, foreign visitors are leaving when they're supposed to. Uh, They they could uh, stop the IRS from from giving tax refunds to illegal aliens on on, um, income that they've earned while working illegally here. There are a a number of solutions, and just do a better job of enforcing the laws that we have on against hiring illegal aliens, against alien smuggling, and all sorts of things. Again, and and do a better job of removing criminal aliens. Um, There are all sorts of areas that that could be improved on, and that I think people would agree are a reasonable approach. We are taking your calls here for. For Jessica Vaughn from the Center for Immigration Studies, the number is 800-881-9270. First up, let's go to Jeremy in Waco. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. Thanks for calling. Uh, I just heard you talk about uh, the immigration and um, Barack Obama. I'm uh, I'm in fact a uh, Baylor University senior majoring in political science, and we're actually discussing uh, the minimum wage and Barack Obama and just uh, several different things that I uh, heard about talked out here today. So I was just going to call in. and. Um, so what are your profs saying about it? Uh, what now? What are your professors saying about uh, it? Uh, how 
um, let's see, we should give uh, we should give them amnesty for people too, and they can look for, for a better life. And I'm totally against amnesty. Uh, they uh, have not quite yet said who they were going to support for president. They said that um, they didn't like Barack Obama having the middle name of Hussein. And um, the minimum wage, in fact, in one of my classes today, we talked about the minimum wage. And um, I um, definitely get raising the minimum wage. And, of course, I was told how that I was against the poor people of this country. You're told that at Baylor? You told this at Baylor. Mm. So uh, Baylor prof saying that uh, we need a guest worker program. What do you think, Jessica? Well, I, again, guest worker programs have never worked anywhere. And there, there really is no economic case for a guest worker program. We don't have a shortage of unskilled labor, uh, and, and economists uh, from across the political spectrum agree on that. So there, there really is no need to import them. Um, there may be other ways to get around. If there are businesses that feel that they depend on unskilled labor, maybe what they ought to think about instead is trying to come up with a new way of manufacturing their product or providing their service that doesn't depend on a constant flow of unskilled labor. Because it may be cheap labor for them, but it's expensive for the rest of us who have to support people who are making a low wage and, you know, we have to provide them with social services and all sorts of other supports that make it expensive for taxpayers, even though it, it, it seems necessary to the employer. You know, when we abolished slavery in this country, uh, the cotton gin was invented, and I think uh, there's a lot of technological improvement that would take place if we lost uh, that source of cheap labor in this country. Let's go to Eleazar in Louisville. Eleazar, thanks for calling. Thank you. Um, my question was about the uh, English as the official language. Um, I'm Hispanic. I was born in Lubbock, Texas. Um, I was uh, the first language I ever uh, learned to speak was Spanish, and um, uh, my grandfather taught me my numbers and how to read in Spanish, and he also taught me in English. So when I when I started school, I, I knew both languages, and it's become a great advantage to me now. But what I I guess what I don't understand is how <clears throat> what what will it affect basically English being an official language, because as as a Hispanic American. I, I take great pride in, in my language. It's a very old language, uh, very romantic. It's very soft on the tongue for me. Mm-hmm. And so it's you should take pride in your language. A, a, a more sentimental kind of thing. But how will that affect me as far as in the workplace? Or well, what, what does that mean? Eliezer, thank you so much for calling. You should take pride in your language and also in your English, which you speak very well. Uh, the important thing is for people living and working in this country to speak the language of this country. And uh, we're getting away from that, and that's why people are looking to pass this. Jessica Vaughn from the Center for Immigration Studies, thank you so much for joining me today. We certainly have more to discuss as the days go by and Congress looks at this issue, but thanks for being with me today. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. And next up, we're going to talk about email. We're going to take your calls on immigration and Barack Obama, so stay with us. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. 
Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture in the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. What you're talking about is a 2002 assessment. We're now in the year 2007. And it is well known by anybody who studied any war that war plans immediately become moot upon the first contact with the enemy. That's White House Press Secretary Tony Snow, a very recognizable voice. And just like President Bush got hammered uh, yesterday at his press conference on the idea that Iranian leadership knows and approves the fact that explosive devices are being given to the insurgents in Iraq. Big argument over that, and that's sort of a a no-brainer. We know that that is happening. Well, now uh, he's continuing also to get criticism, not only from the press, but also from the Congress as they debate a resolution, a denunciation of his policy of the troop surge in Iraq to try to get control of things. Tony Snow is also facing uh, this hammering. He says he's not sure that it means an awful lot that pre-invasion war plans actually prove too optimistic. Things do change in war. In fact, Tony Snow says that in war, things always change. A war is not a situation where you can sit down and neatly predict what exactly is going to happen. You make your best estimates, but you also understand that, that there are going to continue to be challenges. And uh, the White House is in the third day of debate on the resolution uh, that is critical of the president's troop buildup. More from Capitol Hill. Republicans who served in the military warned against approving the resolution, saying it would play into the hands of the enemy. Kentucky Congressman Jeff Davis is a West Point graduate who served with the 82nd Airborne. This non-binding resolution serves no purpose other than pacifying the Democrats' political base and lowering morale in our military. Meanwhile, Democratic Congressman John Murtha, a leading opponent of the war, is looking to require that units meet strict readiness standards before they can be deployed to Iraq, standards he believes Army units cannot meet. Jerry Bodlander, Capitol Hill. The Senate did not pass such a resolution, but the House probably will because the rules in the Senate are a little bit different. The leader, the minority leader in the Senate... uh, Uh, The senator from Kentucky said uh, basically he was able to use the rules to the Republicans in advantage and stop the passage of this resolution. It's not going to happen in the House. The rules are different. And right now there are about 11 Republicans who are standing with the Democrats to condemn the troop surge. But uh, the Washington Post today says that this could be the tip of the iceberg, that one Republican lawmaker who is close to the leadership there, speaking, uh, quote unquote, on the condition of anonymity, says that the GOP leaders have 
50 to 60 Republicans on their watch list. They're going to twist arms uh, with between 40 and 60 expected to break with the White House uh, tomorrow. So we'll see what happens there. I heard they may even stretch this out and vote on Saturday on this resolution condemning the president's policies in Iraq. Uh, We are taking your calls at 800-881-9270. Immigration is on the table. English is an official language is on the table. Email is on the table. I want to know if uh, you're an email junkie. Do you go through withdrawal if you're away from email too long? Do you feel guilty if you're away from it? Do you let the office invade your personal space because you've got a laptop or because you have a BlackBerry or a Trio? Uh, Is it difficult for you to stay away from email when you're on vacation or even on a weekend or on a day off? We'd love to hear from you. The Wall Street Journal addressed this. There are a lot of email junkies out there, and uh, sometimes they try to withdraw or go on an email diet. Uh, I have a little trouble myself sometimes. Not because I love email. Sometimes I think it's a time waster because you get a lot of email that uh, you probably wouldn't necessarily need or read unless it was there right in front of you. Uh, But I do find it difficult sometimes because I like to stay on top of it and not have a lot of it waiting for me at the end of a weekend. So give me me a phone call. Let me know how you feel about that. Also, uh, what do you think is the cure or uh, the remedy for the problem we have with illegal immigration. What do you think Congress should do? The number is 800-881-9270. Let's go to Tom in Dallas. Hi, Tom. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Penna. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm sitting in traffic, but I'm loving listening to you. Well, good. What do you have to Um, say? I just wanted to comment on the English being the um, main language. Uh, I lived in South Florida for 17 years where they tried to do that um, for a while. And I learned Spanish um, when I lived down there, and I didn't have a problem with that. It was required in school. But I'm also first-generation American, and my parents came to this country. They had to learn English, and they were pretty successful. And I guess the thing, um, so I appreciate when I go back to Germany to visit my relatives, I don't expect people to speak English, although a lot of them do. Um, when I go there, if I go to a restaurant or shop at a store, I speak their language, and, and I think that's fair for them expect to expect me to speak uh, German. Um, and the one thing I noticed when I lived, particularly in South Florida, what I would resent is going to some places where it was expected that I would speak Spanish in order to conduct business at those stores or at a gas station. Um, it's one thing if I choose to learn Spanish and I speak it with those individuals, but in the country, in this country, I would think that I should be entitled to speak English and be able to conduct uh, business in English as well. Do you think that we should declare English as official language in America? I think so, only because there are some folks who would refuse. There were literally some places would not uh, do business with you if you didn't speak that, that particular language. And I don't mean to pick on Spanish. I know there's other areas mm-hmm. that speak German. Well, we have a long border uh, with I, Mexico. Yes. Tom, thanks for your call. Uh, We really appreciate it. You know, learning another language is a wonderful thing. Knowing several languages is good, and it's good to be able to communicate with people who uh, are coming in from other countries. I think it's valuable for our young people to learn Spanish, especially those who live in the border states. But uh, that does not take away from the fact that English is the language of the United States of America, and something needs to be done to keep it that way. Let's go to Josephine in Dallas. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's go to Allison in Dallas. She's next up on line two. Go ahead, Allison. Hi, Penna. How are you? Great. Uh, my uh, comments on the immigration issue is that we really should uh, work with the employers to uh, not allow them to make it easy for immigration to, to immigrants to come in. But most important, we should be working 
better with our borders and um, creating commerce with Mexico. You want to create nice you want to create commerce with Mexico? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I mean we're in a global market, and if the U.S. could better um, the conditions for commerce in Mexico, then maybe some of the immigrants wouldn't want to leave their country. If Mexico were doing better economically, then people would would stay there and not come here. I I think so. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, I think this is probably a topic for another program, but we've talked before about this Trans-Texas Corridor where goods would come across the border and just with lightning speed. Of course, a lot of these would actually be from China, and they would be loaded off into Mexico, and they come up into the United States. So that's a globalization issue. But there are people who argue that if we sort of became a full continent, like uh, the European Union, where we combined a lot of our economic systems with Canada and Mexico, that we would lift all boats. But then there are others who argue that what we would do is lower uh, the em- economic situation in the United States and that we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, so, you know, whether or not the policies of Mexico are under our control right now is up for grabs, but uh, their government does a lot to make it uh, a poor country, and that's why people leave. Let's go now to Josephine in Dallas. Josephine, thanks for calling. Hi, Pena. How are you doing? Great. Yeah, I was just listening to you, and I don't know what's the problem, why people don't want... English as the official language in America. This is the United States. When you come to United States, you have to speak English. I'm originally from Africa, and before I left Africa, you know, I learned English. And when I come here, I'm speaking English. If the Spanish people are coming here, they have to speak English, and English will be the official language of the United States. You know, if someone comes to this country and they don't know English, in my opinion, if English was the official language, we would do more to support that. And we would have programs. I know we have some, but we would have more to help people learn uh, uh, English. And, you know, you could come and you could be required to learn English uh, before a certain time. But it doesn't, as our guest earlier said, really solve the problem of illegal immigration because people are coming across the border illegally anyway. And we have to do something uh, about that. You're right about that. And there are so many programs. There are so many. Um, you have private schools that people are willing to teach, you know, pe- um, teach people how to speak English. All they have to do is learn how to speak English. If they don't want to speak English, I think the best thing they have to do is to go back where they can speak their different language, whether um, it's being Spanish, German, French, because when you go to France, you speak French. So why... You know, why are they refusing to learn? You know, there's, I don't see the problem, though, why everybody want to just, everybody just saying, oh, no, English should not be the official language. I believe it have to be the official language in the U.S. Josephine, I think that's a great comment coming from someone who came to this country and learned English and speaks it well, and we appreciate your call. And Josephine is right. When Americans go to France or Italy or Germany for vacation, they take along their phrase books. They try to communicate with the official language. And then if someone speaks English there, you're happy because it's easier to communicate. Uh, Let's go now to Glenn and Burleson. Glenn, thanks for calling. Good evening. How are you? Fine. How are you? Great. Uh, I was listening in, and and I had a comment that's actually probably different from most, if not all, of the callers I've heard so far. You've got about 30 seconds. Okay, every time that the immigration issue comes up, I find it interesting that, uh, first of all, usually are referred to as illegal aliens, which I don't know who attached that term to it, but actually most times that immigrants are referred to, they are referred to as if there's someone from another planet somewhere. These are not people that... No, an alien is someone who is not a citizen. 
but fine. I mean, they're not here to be terrorists or car bombers. These are people just trying to work, right. trying to put food on the table. Uh, somebody decided that the land of the free and home of the brave was full, or the land of opportunity was only for certain people. Uh, these are just people, and most of the jobs that they hold are actually jobs that most people wouldn't want to do anyway. But they're only just just trying to work. That's that's it. Trying to provide well, a living. That tough fact is up for grabs. Listen, we're heading, heading on the end of the segment. Thanks uh, for your call, Glenn. And you know, President Bush says that too. That these are jobs that uh, others would not want to do. I think that statement is questionable and needs a little bit more research. Thank you very much for all the input, uh, ladies and gentlemen, into this subject. We are going to move to another subject next segment, a very interesting one. And the question is, how loyal are Americans to their churches and to their denominations? How important is church or denominational loyalty? We're going to talk with Ron Sellers, president of Ellison Research. They did a study on the subject for Facts and Trends magazine. And we're going to talk about that next on Jerry Johnson Live. Listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. Welcome back to Jerry Johnson Live. I'm getting a few responses trickling in on my email question. The Wall Street Journal recently uh, had a piece called "Deleting the Habit: How Email Junkies Do in Withdrawal." Uh, when Moby tried a fast, friends turned on him. A honeymoon hiatus is all stories about people who try to fast or a diet from email. And my question is, are you an email junkie? Is it a good idea to fast from email for a little while? So uh, you can email us at uh, talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com with the answers, or you can give us a call at 800-881-9270 a little bit later in the program. Um, we have we had a guest yesterday talking about how technology intrudes into our lives, and uh, some technologies actually in, endanger our privacy, and you know that's also on the table. But it is hard to not check your email. I think uh, you feel out of touch sometimes. So if you've got some thoughts on that, give us a call. We have another interesting guest uh, today on the program, and uh, the topic is church and denominational loyalty. And the question is, how loyal are you to your church? How likely are you uh, to uh, continue attending your church? What if you had to move? Would you stay in the same denomination, or is it just kind of the best church in the community is the one that you will choose? And is loyalty to church and denomination important? Well, to discuss all those things, uh, our guest is Ron Sellers. He is a president and founder of Ellison Research, and Ellison Research did a study for Facts and Trends, which is a bi-monthly publication of LifeWay Christian Resources of the Southern Baptist Convention. And they studied 1,184 adults who attend a Protestant church in the United States at least once a month, examining this loyalty factor. Uh, the average length of time, said the study, that adults have been attending the same church is 13.7 years. And Ron Sellers, uh, welcome to the program. Thank you. Explain this uh, Explain this 13.7 average and why uh, the median figure is probably a little bit more reflective. Well, mathematically, an average can be significantly affected by a small number of people who are at the far end. And within the study, we did have some people who were attending the same church for 60, 70, 80 years. You know, sure. the, the sort of the small town kind of person who... Uh, is baptized in a certain church, grows up in that church, and probably will die 90 years later in that church. 
So that can mathematically skew the average much higher and make it look like there's a lot more longevity than there actually is. A median is the actual midpoint. So if a median is 6.6 years, as it is in this study, we actually have half of all people who have been attending the same church for 6.6 years or below, half who have been attending for 6.6 years or above. So it's probably a better reflection of what the real longevity is in Protestant churches today. Well, First Baptist Church of Dallas, for instance, is a large church, uh, and uh, W.A. Criswell was there for many, many decades. And uh, there are probably people in that church that are skewing your average because uh, they've been. There are many who have been there for decades, also, and uh, this is a big city. Uh, but we are taking your calls on this issue. We want to know how important you think church loyalty is. And Ron, uh, when you look at this, uh, what did your study show about the old folks, or people are fifty-five and older, with regard to their loyalties? Well. It showed that there was a lot more longevity among those folks uh, who, in terms of how long they've been attending the, uh, the same church. Part of that is because there, there simply is more longevity. They're, they're going more frequently. They're, uh, they're attending the same church for a longer period of time. And part of that was because, obviously, somebody who's 55 has had more opportunity to attend the same church for sure. 30 or 40 years than somebody who's 30 or 40 years old. So some of that is simply a factor of their actual age, but some of it is that older people uh, do tend to have attended the same church for a longer period of time. I just got in trouble for calling 55 old. Sorry, Larry. Appreciate appreciate your... uh... You're remonstrating me on that issue. Uh, Ron Sellers is my guest. He's president of Ellison Research. Uh, Ron, what uh, denominations are the most loyal to their churches? Uh, Lutherans and Presbyterians tend to have people who have attended for the longest period of time. Both of those are actually, the median is in double digits. The the half of all people in a Lutheran church have been there for 12.5 years or longer, and for Presbyterians it's 10.6. Uh, in terms of the, the shortest length of time people have been attending the same church, that tends to be in the non-denominational churches, followed by the Pentecostal or Charismatic churches. There's a lot more turnover in those denominations or, or those churches. Those churches also tend to have a younger population than do the Lutheran and Presbyterian churches. If you want to read more about this, you can go to bpnews.net. That's the Baptist Press online newspaper. That's bpnews.net. And Ron Sellers uh, had a piece there on uh, February 12th. So if you just put uh, Sellers, S-E-L-L-A-R-S, right, Ron? E-R-S, actually. E-R-S, into the search engine, you'll come up with that article. It's very fascinating. And, Ron, we're going to take a call here. David in Dallas. Uh, Hi, David. Thanks for calling. Hi, thank you. Yeah, I just um, was intrigued by your subject matter, and um, just as a point of, of fact, I, I was a member, and keyword there is was, a member of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or the church that I attended was part of the ELCA, and um, when they took a sharp turn left um, in their philosophy and teachings, uh, obviously I, one of the reasons that I, what I look at a church for is their teaching, and the, not only just the ministries, but the, how they teach the Bible and their interpretations, and then when the ELCA took a sharp left in their social policies, um, I told the screener I, I left faster than the door could shut. Um, I have zero dedication or loyalty to that. Um, my real tie is really a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not to a denomination, and if the current church I go to, which happens to be a Southern Baptist church, which is outstanding here in Dallas, um, 
if they start to stray from the teaching uh, of core principles of, of Christianity, I'll leave them quicker than the door can close there as well. Um, you know, so, um, and that may be the wrong way to approach it. I, I've contemplated maybe going back into ELCA to try to be a light in the darkness. Um, so I've contemplated that as well, but at this point I've, I've, I've abandoned them, both my time, talents, or maybe thirdly, my treasures are going to um, Christ, Christian principle uh, Bible teaching churches. There comes a point, uh, if you are in a liberal church, where you have to decide whether you're going to stay there and try to change things if you feel that you can't do that, or you just need the feeding of a real evangelical Bible-believing church, then you need to leave and go where you're going to find that. Uh, Ron, is that a trend uh, that David is describing, people leaving denominations when denominations leave their core values? Well, I'm not sure that I can say it's necessarily when they when they leave their core values, because some would argue that those have been those denominational core values for a very long time. Well, how about so when they go we, liberal, when, the, okay, when, when well, the conservative churches go liberal? Right. One of the things that we have seen over the past, really, 30 to 40 years is, in general, the growth in the United States, and really worldwide, has been largely in the evangelical churches, and outside of the United States, it's been particularly heavy in the Pentecostal Charismatic Churches. The older mainline denominations, such as the ELCA that David was referencing, or the Presbyterian Church USA, United Churches of Christ, etc., there has been a, a gradual and steady decline among those denominations, and there's also been a definite graying of those denominations, as it's been largely the older people who are staying around. So there, there definitely is a, a trend towards leaving those denominations. But at the same time, one of the things that our study found out was that among the people who have remained, there is quite a bit of loyalty in, in some of those mainline denominations. Uh, the strongest loyalty to the specific denomination was actually among Lutherans. Ron, when you asked people if they planned to stay in their church, what was the uh, response? How did people respond to that? We had two-thirds of all the people who regularly attend a Protestant church say that, barring a move or something like that, they will definitely content, uh, continue attending that same church in the, next, uh, in the near future. We had another 25% who said that they will probably continue, but they left that very open. And then we had 7% who said they may or may not continue, and then 1% who said they will, they're, they're on their way out, they're leaving. And one of the things that we did find is, uh, even though there's a lot of what they call circulation of the saints, people going from one church to the next and leaving churches, it's not something that people tend to contemplate for a long time. It's not like leaving a job or, or moving to another house where it takes a lot of planning. If you decide uh, that a church is no longer for you, it's as simple, oftentimes, as simply not showing up the next week. So when people do tend to decide, this is not the right place for me, they tend to be gone fairly quickly if that... Uh, if that feeling that they have is pretty strong, if it's just that little nagging in the back of their mind saying, well, maybe there's a better place, maybe I could do better someplace else, then they might stay around. Ron, uh, how does this compare to past uh, data? Are we getting more loyal as a Christian population or less loyal? Well, we haven't specifically done this study previously, so I, I can't make a direct comparison. But as a, as a nation overall, one of the things that we are finding on a, on a big-picture scale, is that there tends to be declining loyalty 
to everything, to denominations, to uh, political parties, to brands. You know, it used to be, for instance, if somebody was a Chevy man and was a Chevy man from birth till death. Right. There's a lot more. I mean, there, there still is some of that, but there's a lot more of, eh, I bought a Chevy this time, next time I bought a Ford, next time I bought a Toyota. I'm going to look at consumer though, reports. Yeah, what they're seeing, though, at the same time is those people who do tend to stay loyal, there's been a strengthening of that loyalty. So there are fewer loyal people out there, but the people who are loyal to something do tend to have a stronger level of loyalty, which in some cases is a kind of a response to that lack of loyalty that's going on societally. I think it's interesting also, uh, and Ron Sellers has been my guest this segment. Ron, I really appreciate your being with me. Uh, He says that if a person were forced to switch churches because of a move, uh, three out of ten would not consider it a big deal to switch denominations. It seems that denomination is not as important as uh, really the church itself. Ron Sellers has been my guest. His article is at bpnews.net, and then you have to put in Sellers, S-E-L-L-E-R-S, to get the article that came out on February 12th, a fascinating article. Ron, thanks for being with me. Thank you, Bennett. And while you're there at bpnews.net, uh, you can find my piece. Uh, I wrote something uh, today. It's in the first-person column on the HPV vaccine that uh, Governor Rick Perry is mandating here in the state of Texas. It has some facts that might help you as you talk about this and decide how you feel about it. Next up, we're taking your calls on church loyalty, email addiction, and the war in Iraq. 800-881-9270. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with his word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's Penna Dexter. This plan would not only place a cap on the number of troops in Iraq and stop the escalation, more importantly, it would begin a phased redeployment of U.S. forces with the goal of removing all U.S. combat forces from Iraq by March 31st, 2008. Of all the presidential candidates, uh, Barack Obama has the most extreme position against the war in Iraq. He wants all troops out of there by March of 2008. Uh, This, in contrast, is uh, the Australian prime minister responding to his call for a troop withdrawal, to Obama's call for a troop pullout. Uh, By March 2008, he says this is ill-advised. If I were running al-Qaeda in Iraq, I would put a circle around March 2008 and uh, pray uh, as many times as possible for uh, a victory not only for Obama but also for the Democrats. 
Well, we have lots of presidential candidates and comings and goings to discuss here on the program as this campaign continues along the way. We heard uh, Rudy Giuliani saying that he thinks it's ridiculous that the House of Representatives would pass this non-binding resolution. He says, you ought to put up or shut up if you don't believe in this war. You ought to defund it. But uh, he doesn't think that most members of the House and Senate would have the courage to do so, and I agree. And if you have a comment on that, you can join us, 800-881-9270. Are you addicted to email? We're not getting a lot of calls on that. I guess maybe that topic was a bomb today. Uh, But uh, we'd love to hear from you if you've got a comment. And uh, what do you think about illegal immigration and church loyalty? Let's go now to Leanne in Dallas. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Penna. My comment regarding church loyalty and denomination loyalty is that after having grown up um, initially in the Roman Catholic Church, my family moved to a charismatic-type church that we stayed in for, gosh, about 15 years, I guess, before I left and, you know, carried on as an adult. And what my experience I found as an adult has been is that one's church membership should be really closely tied to and related to their own prayer life and what the Lord is speaking into into their lives, because oftentimes the spiritual headship that you're under with your pastor is going to correlate with whatever the Lord happens to be speaking into your life. And I think that a person, however, I think they should sow, obviously, as far as tithes and offerings, where they're being fed, and I think that they should be prayerful in considering where what spiritual headship they're going to find themselves under at a church. Excellent point. And many times uh, I think we have an unaccountable Christians in our pews and they're church hopping. And, you know, the ultimate authority for a believer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's good to put yourself also in a church and under the authority of a pastor. Let's go to Sandy in Terrell. Sandy, thanks for calling. Hi. Well, I was calling about the same thing, and I agree with the lady and the gentleman before. I believe you should be loyal that should the head of the church or the the, um, pastor or rabbi um, change and not be dedicated to the Word of God, then I wouldn't want to stay there. Uh, I've been at a synagogue called Baruch Hashem in Dallas for since the early 90s and actually was um, knew the, the rabbi before he even started his, his uh, congregation. And it is a Messianic congregation, so they do believe in Jesus. Are you Jewish? Um, I'm not sure. I Maybe partly was, Jewish? I, just, I was just led there by the Spirit of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of Christians go to Messianic fellowships. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But I do agree that if, God forbid... Um, our rabbi would ever change his theology or his way of looking at the Bible, then I couldn't I couldn't stay there because I have to follow the Word of God, not a man. Right. Okay. That is a great comment. Thanks for your call. Let's go to Sheila in Waxahachie. Hello. I was just calling. I'm a member um, of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. My pastor is the amazing Dr. Tony Evans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've traveled... The alternative to- here on KCBI. That's right. I've traveled to lots of different churches because we grew up uh, military, and so we moved a lot. I go to my church because that's where I receive lots of good teaching that I can apply to my everyday life. But my comment is, 
Um, our pastor is very, our, our church mission is discipling the church to impact the world. And our pastor is very um, adamant that you are not to be stagnant. If you're, if, if you're growing and if you're being fed, then it's your, it's your job to go out and impact the world, not just to sit in, in your pews at church and stay there. We have lots of different pastors and leaders that go on to either plant churches or um, participate in other uh, churches or to move to different places where there are no churches. And I think that that's definitely needed. It's an outward focus, not an inward focus. And a church that stays inwardly focused uh, usually shrinks and sometimes dies. And so churches need to stay outwardly focused. Thank you, Sheila. I appreciate your call. Let's go now to Victor in Arlington. Hi, Victor. Hi. uh, My name is Victor. uh, I live in Arlington for about 20, 21 years. I was moved here with the Air Force. And uh, on the 21 years I've been with the Lord, I've only been on three churches. And one of them was... uh, in Arlington, and and I was there for uh, 15 and a half years. Really? Until the pastor came and started changing the doctrine. She brought something from uh, Colombia that had to do with uh, 12 apostles and 120 multiplied things. And, and uh, I moved not because I wanted to, but uh, I went on prayer and I asked the Holy Spirit, because the most important thing when you're in the church is to to listen to the Holy Spirit. And uh, you don't move from church to church like you change a car. Right. Or like you change from a house. Did you say, Victor, that that uh, pastor of the church was a female? No, he's a, he's a male. Oh, okay. All of a sudden, he came, he went to, to Colombia and... Uh, he brought he brought something country. back that was not quite sitting. Yeah, well. It was not quite. Then I looked for some advisors, you know, on other right. pastors, friends, you know. And hey, Victor, thank thing. you for your call. We appreciate it, and uh, it's good that you were vigilant and uh, found that uh, this church was going astray and left. Uh, Sometimes that has to be done. Thank you so much uh, for your input to the program today. I want to mention that tomorrow, uh, Dr. Denny Burke will be hosting. Uh, He is professor of New Testament here at the Criswell College, and one of the subjects will be, Are Gender Roles Being Ignored in the Home? He'll also have Dr. Randy Stinson joining him to discuss that. It ought to be a great show, so join us tomorrow. Dr. Johnson and I will both be away uh, tomorrow and uh, for a couple of their other programs. So we've got some great shows planned for you. So we hope you'll listen and join the conversation by telephone. But, you know, the foundation of your faith is your relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, not the denomination. It is important to consider church loyalty, but what is really more important is the doctrine that is being taught and uh, the atmosphere in the church. Is it a place where you can grow in Christ and where you can be equipped to affect the world and to lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ? A good verse to wrap up uh, this topic is uh, Hebrews 10.25. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together. We need to be in congregation and in fellowship and in a church. This is Jerry Johnson Live. I'm Penna Dexter, and thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.